This week on a lively experiment, another week, another $3,000 bonus for another group of state workers and a backtrack by Governor McKee on the reason why. Rhode Islanders are being asked to choose a new license plate design. We'll see what the panel likes. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us with their perspective, political strategist Rob Horowitz, Sue Sianke, chairwoman of the Rhode Island Republican Party, and political contributor Don Roach. Welcome to Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. It is great to have you with us this week. Well, if you wanted to teach a public relations seminar on how not to roll out a potentially controversial program, the McKee administration's awarding of a $3,000 bonus to an increasing number of state employees might be at the top of that list. Once again, the governor changed his tune on the reason the $3,000 bonuses are being awarded, this time to state troopers. Um, Sue, let me begin with you. It seems like every couple of weeks we've gotten this and then the backtrack. I wonder at some point, what the vaccination bonus initially, I think, bothered a lot of people. This is almost becoming comical now. Yeah, he's become the Oprah of the Rhode Island government. You get a bonus and you get a bonus and you get a bonus. Um, it becomes ridiculous. I'd like to tell him he needs a crisis communication team to get his act together because his initial, uh, you get a vaccine bonus, then you get one for wearing a camera for state police officers. The nonsense has got to stop. Well, I think in this case, when he was questioned on it, Kathy Gregg broke the story over the weekend, last weekend, and then he said, well, I, I don't think, I don't agree with that. I don't think that's, so it doesn't seem like one hand's talking to the other. Right. Again, a need, he needs a crisis communication team to get his uh, message out to the people exactly why he's giving these $3,000 bonuses. Hey, you know away. who's done that over the years? The guy sitting to the right of you. What should hire Rob. <laughs> so there is a reason to give bonuses instead of pay raises because they don't get baked into the into the pay raises over time. It's it, it, in a, in a labor negotiation, that might be a pretty good move because you're not getting 2%, 3% increases, they multiply over years. And it doesn't factor into your pension for the long exactly. run. It's a one exactly. time, so you get the a, money, but it's not so on it's, your base. So it's more cost effective in some ways. Clearly the messaging on it is problematic. Um, I thought he was, the first time, I always like when politicians admit mistakes. He said it was a mistake to call it, to tie it to the vaccine. I thought that was good. Uh, I think the avoidable mistake this time was since you know the bonuses are going to be an issue going forward, if there's going to be a bonus in another contract and you're the governor and you have to sign off on it, you need to understand the details of it. Completely defensible to give a bonus and say that a piece of that is tied to having to wear body ward cameras. The problem is the mixed messages. Yeah, and the second, the second one was for the judges. Again, not directly under his control, but a retention bonus for people who have lifetime appointments. And it makes sense to give retention bonuses right now. You know, you see in the private sector, uh, companies are giving retention bonuses to employees. Employers are having a hard time finding qualified candidates because people are just not applying for jobs as they did kind of in the pre-pandemic era. So I would agree with Sue that the communication uh, is a little bit, you know, suspect, but I totally agree with the governor in terms of giving uh, these bonuses, but he shouldn't tie it to bo wearing body cameras. 
wearing body cameras should be just part and parcel of what our police officers do in this day and age. But I do believe that uh, many of our employees do need those retention bonuses. I wouldn't give a retention bonus to a judge. That's a lifetime appointment, and that's a plum appointment that you get. I, it, it, different categories, and I right. think that was the problem. I think if the governor could have rewound this four months or whatever it was, he wouldn't have tied it to anything, but just said, look, we want to reward our people. The other thing that sticks in a lot of people's craw is no state worker took any furlough or layoff. So there were people killing themselves, working in the trenches who could have used it. There were other people, quite frankly, who weren't putting in so much work. Um, let's get to the governor's race larger, Rob. We've, sure. It's been a while since we've had you on. Um, we've got a lot of people <laughs> in the field. The governor's the incumbent. How did the other candidates begin to break through? You got six months till the primary. I think it's tricky. I mean, because it's a multi-candidate field and because things are improving in Rhode Island because they're improving everywhere somewhat. Um, and the governor probably can win this with 35% of the vote. And in a multi-candidate field, you do not you don't benefit from being the person who, who attacks him necessarily because the, the votes can go other places. So I think the, the one obvious way, and I would expect to see Helena Folks has got a fair amount of money, to say the least, is, is to go up early on television and, and it, try to turn this into a more of a two-way race. And so I, I would see somebody with her kinds of resources. I, I would be ex expect, I don't know this, that she'll be on the air fairly soon with a saturation level by and because uh, I think that's the best way. And then she can define herself as, as sort of outside the political establishment, as a businesswoman, as, as a newcomer. Don? You know, I honestly have not been following the Rhode Island governor's race this year. The reason I haven't is because I'm so excited about Alan Fung running for Congress. And so that's Which we'll been... get to momentarily. <laughs> yeah. we'll, get, we'll get to. Do you think, but do you think you're typical of a lot of people? It's like ho hum. They're not. They're not uh, engaged I, yet. I do think that I may be typical of a lot of folks. Is there are a lot of things that are still happening. We, we we are still in the throes of the pandemic. Hopefully we're we're. Hopefully there's no new variant coming out. Um, obviously inflation, different. Uh, you know, uh, issues related to that are are top of mind. But for me, as a as a longtime Funk supporter, my focus is on the congressional race because I am unsure of a Republican being able to win this year. So we've talked about you <laughs> the last <laughs> several months, and the last time you were on this show, we were on the verge of having a Republican candidate. Where where are we in terms of getting one for governor? So for governor, uh, probably before the end of the month, there'll be a formal announcement. Okay. But, you know, there Will has... I be the first to know? Will you let me, will you <laughs> give me the text that it's coming? You are, you are typical of many reporters who want to be the first to know. They want that scoop. We've um, heard the name Ashley Callis? Absolutely, yes. Will she, and... I, I anticipate that there will be a formal announcement from Ashley how did that pretty come, soon. How did that come about? She's not really from here, but she has some ties. Yeah, so she actually grew up in southeast um, Massachusetts, and her husband um, attended Brown University Medical School. So they lived in Rhode Island for a number of years. Um, and typical with many students that they graduate from college or a professional school and they have massive amounts of student loans um, and the jobs just were not here for him when he graduated so they had to leave but the intention was always to come back and raise their family here and an opportunity came with COVID so they moved back um, she contacted me probably more than 18 months ago, interested in running for some race based upon what she saw in the state. You know, how business was run, what was happening, particularly to her area of business. So we sat down and had a discussion and 
you know, through many people that she had talked to, um, they had said, you should actually run for governor. But I do agree with Don on one thing. When the CD race opened up, it became the hot race and the governor's race kind of took a back seat. But I do believe that the incumbent, Dan McKee, um, has certainly he has the office now. It's, it's his to lose on the Democratic primary side. So I'm interested, Rob, what you think. You know, Republicans have traditionally done well in the governor's seat. We mm -hmm. had Ed Dupree, Link uh, Almond, Don Kachiri years ago. And the, and the conventional thinking is the Democrats beat themselves up and then that might open for a Republican. I wonder what your thought is. The candidate that Sue's talking about, Ashley Callis, is really not known at all in Rhode Island, so that's challenging for her. I, I think it's um, the governor's races here are potentially competitive. I don't know enough about Ashley to, to make a judgment about her. Um, Alan Fung was a particularly poor gubernatorial candidate, um, perhaps will be a better congressional candidate. Um, it's one of the reasons he lost twice. Um, if she doesn't make his mistake of trying to be all things to all people, and she doesn't have a, 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 she doesn't get challenged from the right, I assume that's where she would be challenged. Um, so she, she has that time to define herself um, while the Democrats beat each other up at least a little bit, although in a multi-candidate race that'll be less than if it was just a two-way. You know, it's, it's, it should be a, a more favorable than usual um, climate for Republicans nationally. That'll help here. It, it certainly could be a competitive race. Have you heard of anybody else coming in from the right? You're having a hell of a time getting one candidate. You, you don't have the problem with two at this point, right? No. Okay. Let's talk about CD2. Alan Fung was your guy in the races. Rob said he lost twice. Governor, why is he better positioned in CD2? Because, and let's make it clear, in the Repu we've got eight candidates on the Democratic side. Jessica De La Cruz made her announcement this week. Uh, Bob Lancia, who ran last time, is in. But Alan Fung obviously has the name and the, and the, he, he hits the ground running. I think he's going to be a better congressional candidate just based on what I've seen, uh, you know, coming from him, talking about, you know, not wanting to be hyper-partisan. And if you look at some of the responses on the Democratic side to some of the Republican announcements, it's just all partisan Trump, Republicans are going to do this. They're just very scare tactics. And Alan as mayor was just someone who was able to cross party lines, get, you know, a lot of Democrats behind him because he's a moderate Republican. And I think that his values and the issues that he finds important really align with the, the regular Rhode Island voter. And you could say, well, well, why didn't he win the governor's race if that is the case? But I think how he ran his gubernatorial campaigns was just very different than how he served as mayor. Oh, I'm just excited that we have three candidates yeah, that are willing a, to step up to the plate. Yeah, it's an embarrassment of riches for yeah, the Republican no, it, Party. Yeah, no, it's great that we, you know, I'm very excited that we have three very competent people and the primary voters are going to decide who our candidate is, but very excited about it. How will that, uh, will you make an endorsement before the primary? Um, that's up to the state central committee. They, they meet in June and maybe, maybe not, you know, maybe that's not the best thing to do. Maybe the best thing would be just to let the primary voters decide who's going to be the ultimate candidate. He walks a very fine line, though, doesn't he, though? Because you got to go to the right in the pro It's politics. You got to go to the right in the primary. They got that picture of him with the Trump hat on that I'm sure is going to get. So, so what path do you see for him? I think the primary is potentially tricky. Um, first of all, it could be as few as, if you just look at the number of votes in it, 20,000, 25,000 votes. So could Jessica Dela Cruz get 
12, you know, 10,000 of those votes. That's not impossible. And if he does have a, you know, his challenge is going to be from the right, from her. Um, his, before, in his attempt to be all things to all people, and also, to be fair, to deal with the real politics, he's kind of moved right, moved back center, or, or gone into the Whitminster Protection Program, sometimes not even want to talk to the media. He's going to have to be different this time. I, I, you know, I don't know that he has strong, firm convictions. The fungi would have been worried about running candidly, who I think would have been a great candidate for the Republicans as his wife. Um, but but it's it's also a potentially very competitive race, and and he you know he's a nice guy. He may I mean, he may have learned things. He's been through a few races. That that that's good. But I think he's got a tricky uh, tricky path a tricky path ahead. I think Rob's criticism was a little harsh in terms of Fung not having convictions. I think part of one of Fung's main convictions is that he does want to listen to all people. And if that is a problem, that's probably why we don't have politicians in office who are, you know, cross party, party lines. But to me, I feel Fung is the candidate that will help us. And, and so I'm, I'm not as, uh, I guess, noncommittal as Sue. Um, and I would say that I, I you really... You have different roles here. Yeah. I'm Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs> I am Switzerland. I, I really... Switzerland's going to join NATO, so you I, have to change your I really hope uh, that his message and how he served the city of Cranston comes through. And I hope the state party does endorse uh, a candidate. I've always been a fan of, uh, in the primaries, the political parties endorsing candidates because I just feel like it sends a message of this is the person that we support. It's okay if that person doesn't come out of the primary. Voters will decide and that we'll get behind the candidate who does come out of the primary. But I just think it's a it's a good practice. Here's the problem, though, um, for, for somebody like Alan Fung, and maybe not as a candidate, but even goes to Congress, he's going to enter a very partisan environment where you have Kevin McCarthy, who, I'm sorry, Trump is not just a, stare, a scare tactic. Trump is looking to run again. Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans are in the House, not in the Senate, are very much aligned with him. And Alan Fung is going to go down there, and the only way he can, he can sort of speak to all people and everything is to show a backbone. And that backbone has not been evident. Maybe it was evident a bit in Cranston, but it was, has not been evident in any of these races. So if he wants to show that background, define himself as a moderate Republican, maybe join the, no pro the Problem Solvers Caucus, that would be great. For what say you to that? Well, I would say that how he's coming out now is saying that I'm not going to be a partisan person. And, and Rob, I, I agree with you that it's part, politics are very partisan today. But we shouldn't not uh, elect candidates who are saying, I'm not going to be partisan just because they're going to be one voice amongst many. Really, we need to, you know, shake the whole thing up and, and elect uh, officials who will do that. I, I, I do agree with that. On the other hand, I, Alan Funk, from his track record, um, he's saying he doesn't want to be partisan right now. From his track record, the, the absence of backbone, I think, is fairly evident. So the question is, can he walk the walk? I, I agree with you. If, I, if, if I'd observed him in a different way, and I may be being a little harsh, over the years, I would say, great. You know, I'd still obviously probably be for the Democrat and the, whoever wins the primary, but but um, but I haven't seen that. Now, maybe we'll see that this time, and I, I'd be all for it if we do. Whoever wins the primary, there are eight of them on the Democratic side. That's so true. And, you, I, know. And, you know, you saw Seth Magazine, or I don't know who's advising him, Rob, you should jump in. Another crisis thing, communication. It was immediately <laughs> when Jessica De La Cruz announced it right. was the old 
it's tired talking points about, you know, it was the, the same January 6th insurrection. And look, yeah. those are important things, but let's talk about what matters to Rhode Island, yeah. I think. Politics is the future. Oh. And he said the exact same thing about Alan Fung that he did for Jessica De La Cruz. So I said he didn't change his it's message. It's like he recycled the same. He recycled right. the same thing. As, um, as um, I'm sorry, as, as <clears throat> Alan Fung has his primary politics, Seth Magaziner has his primary politics. So that those communications for a Democratic primary audience uh, may not appeal to everybody, but they're not they're not terrible mistakes either. Yeah, I, I don't know what, what makes me feel to. worse, whether he actually wrote that or whether somebody wrote it for him and he decided that that was okay. Yeah. One final thing, I, the advice that I would give to Alan Fung, and if you're talking to him, as I'm sure you do, he made a critical mistake from my point of view as a reporter. He did nothing before the primary in when he ran for governor the second time. He would not, he, he basically, whoever was advising him told him, clam up until after the primary. And I think that put him at a disadvantage because then he only had eight weeks left to go. And I think he started at a, this is just my observation. So I don't know how you <clears throat> felt about that because I thought his second campaign for governor was actually not as good as his first one. Well, it's interesting. I'm sorry, I don't go mean ahead. to jump in. It's interesting to see a lot of politicians now not making formal in-person formal announcements that they're running. Media, well, right? social media and like uh, Helena Folks did a video. You know, you're not accessing yourself to the press. And when Seth was running for governor, he made an announcement. He took no questions from the press and he ran away and left. Right. So that would be my advice. And Jessica Dela Cruz, to her credit, there yep. it is, the balloons, the family. And you whatever. answer questions. And that's, you need to be accessible to the press because if you become the congressman, you become the governor, you have to answer questions. Yeah, it's Rhode Island too. We expect them to be back here four days a week. It's not like you could go months without seeing your, years without seeing your congressional person in Texas or California. Right, you see them in the grocery store. Exactly. You know. yep. And I'll, Sorry, and I also think that for me, one of Alan's strengths is just talking to people, yeah. regular people. And I've campaigned with him, um, and he was like a rock star in the city of Cranston. And I think he can do that in Rhode Island as well as he goes out. But um, I, I will admit that we haven't necessarily seen that Alan uh, in, the, in the gubernatorial races. And we'll get his wife to campaign with him this time rather than vice versa. It's a, uh, it's a formidable duo. All right, let's get to the most important thing that everybody's talking about this week. The governor, like governors have avoided this for 25 years to change our license plates because we know how all obsessed we are with license plates. So let's put up, these are the four, uh, five finalists from more than 900 submissions. And I gotta tell you, I'm not sure why they didn't go to the Rhode Island School of Design. These are okay, but I, I've been thinking a lot about this, guys. I think that the governor just didn't want to step in it. These are okay, they're, in my mind, they're okay, but nothing stands out that says, wow. So let's start uh, of the five. Don, let's pull up the one that you like and tell me why you like this. Yeah, I, I like uh, the Rhode Island in cursive. You know, we all learned it in school, but we don't use it today, but I, I like that. I love the bridge in the background. I agree with you that nothing was really kind of standing out of the five finalists, but, um, this one stood out to me. And so at Newport Bridge, obviously, which yep. is very Rhode Island. Okay, so this is probably the only time that Rob and Sue will agree on anything. And to make it even more interesting, <laughs> I agree with both of you. So let's pull up the one that we all agree on. Sue, let's start with you. Why do you like this one? Um, basically, I looked at all five of them and went, eh. You know, I wasn't that enthused about any of them. But this one was a clean design. I wish that they had anchors on both sides to balance it yep. out. But I did like the 
blue border across the top. I thought at least it made it pop a little bit. Um, I like the sailboat, I, I do like the bridge, but I wish that they had a tagline on the bottom that said, please lower our taxes. That would, that would have made it <laughs> or great. Or how about fun sized? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Rob? What do you like? I think it's just great that Sue and I can come together on the common ground. <laughs> Maybe imagine. not of candidates, of solutions for the country, the state, but the critical issue in Rhode Island is of license plates. I, if we're going to say Ocean State, what I liked about it, um, I thought the design was was nice. I think the designs are all fairly similarish. But I do. If we're going to say Ocean State, I like the fact that the uh, the visual in it does demonstrate Ocean State. It shows not just the not just the bridge, but a little bit of water in the sailboat. Yeah, these so are the ones that I'm looking. That uh, you know, we'll pull them up. You know, it's the it's the wave. I mean, it's. They, I heard one guy on the radio this week. I think he called Matt Allen. He was one of the finalists, oh. and, and I'm not sure whether they chose his or not. And he's a graphic designer, and he's you know, it's only on talk radio, right? Hey, I'm Jason, and I you know did whatever. <laughs> and Matt said, "So how long did it take?" He goes, "About an hour." <laughs> What did we spend on cooler and warmer? Oh yeah, remember that five million dollars? Was it that much? Oh, I thought it was five hundred thousand. We got to well, the whole the, the whole uh, cooler and warmer initiative we'll was like five million dollars. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about. So we'll see. You have two weeks to vote on that. Actually, less than two weeks now. And uh, there's no truth to the ru rumor that dead people can vote as they do in the regular <laughs> elections for the license plates. But you can go online and find out. Okay, the other issue, huge issue is are we going to keep daylight savings time? So a right, quick pop poll along this way. We had this discussion years ago about kids in the dark going. So in Rhode Island, the practical effect would be in the darkest of winter, the sun wouldn't come up until 8.15. The flip side is it's up until 5.15. You, are you in, you think... <laughs> Ambivalent about this? I'm or what do you really think? ambivalent. I'm not a morning person, so it doesn't so matter. So it's fine to me. for you. Dark and sleep it's in. Dark, right? I can sleep in, and and that works for me. Your kids would be going to school in the bus stop in the dark, though. How do you feel about that? You know, I I'm okay with that, but I like daylight savings time because I like I I like when it gets darker earlier. I don't know why, but I mean I like walking. It's kind of in a the winter dark. thing. Yeah, right? yeah, it's like okay, winter is coming. Um, so I would probably prefer that it's darker in the afternoon than in the morning. I'm kind of mildly for it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of ambivalent on it. I think that is the one downside. There are some, there are some upsides in terms of uh, it being light later. There's some energy savings. Uh, overall, for it, but it's uh, not in my top 150 issues. I think the stunning thing is the Senate. It's bipartisan. It's I 100 think people <laughs> voted for this where they haven't had before. And I'm surprised that Sheldon Whitehouse didn't find some climate change angled, right? That he right. would slip it in. But I was just, I, were you stunned when you saw I, that? I was really stunned that they got everybody like to Marco agree. Like Marco Rubio wouldn't have said something right that no, I mean, it's Sheldon Whitehouse, right? And, and it was, I think, Marco Rubio yeah, and Sheldon they Whitehouse that the they were the co-sponsors. Yeah. They're the ones that pushed this. So it's nice to see that they found common ground, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you know, Sheldon did that thing, Senator Whitehouse, did that thing all years ago about having the volume come down on the commercials. Right. It's still, I was watching the NCAA blasting. tournament. It's still, AT&T is like blaring. <laughs> so we should hold the senator to his promise on that. Yeah. Uh, let's do this. We made it get to some national. Let's start with, um, let's start with outrages or kudos. What do you have this week, Bob? Um, I have an outrage. Um, it, it takes a rare amount of skill to be shown 24-7 on Russia State TV, and, and Tucker Carlson has accomplished that. Um, and it's not from a principled, if it, 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 there's a way to, to say there's too much consensus on Ukraine, 
and, and, and there are other legitimate foreign policy views. That's not what, what he's doing. He's doing a firehood of falsehood propaganda, equating Zelensky and, and Putin as if they're both tyrants, they're the same, equating the, Ukraine, Ukraine as a border dispute as the same as our border, not that there's not issues on our border. Um, I think it's disgraceful. Um, I'm all for different opinions. That's not what he's doing. He is serving as a, and he's not an idiot, he's serving as a useful idiot for Vladimir Putin and the Russian invasion. Right. Don, what do you have? Well, my outrage and kudo is also related to Ukraine. I'm just, just outraged that um, I, when I think back of another country invading another country, recent history for, for me is like, you know, I think about Kuwait and how we, how we addressed um, Iraq. It just feels like we're, we're doing things different just because the, the, the person who has the stick has a bigger stick than the one that Iraq had. And it, it just bothers me seeing all the images on TV, civilians who are being killed. Um, but the kudos I have is for the Ukrainian people um, and how they're just fighting back. And it's just really encouraging to see, but also just very sad to see uh, all the death that is happening over there. Yeah, I, mean, I think Putin may have misjudged their resolve. I'm yeah. just so excited that everybody knows where Ukraine is now. Yeah, Sienki right. happens to be a Ukrainian name. I did not know that. Wow. Yeah, so wow. we should have led the show with we that. We should have led yeah. the show with that. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna lighten it up a little and give the kudos to both the Providence basketball team and Bryant for making the big dance. Amazing. Huh? And certainly for uh, Ed Cooley and his team for winning their first game. So I'm a big March Madness. Um, crazed person this time of the year, although I think some of them blew my bracket last night. A lot of them blew your bracket. We're taping on a Friday morning. Now, I made a special exception to come and tape lively. Normally, I tell people, three weekends, I'm out. you want to get a hold of me, don't even bother until April. So, let's go back briefly. We have, we have three minutes on Ukraine and what's going on there. I understand what you're talking about with the stick, but the real concern is on no-fly zones. Then, then it, it, look, we care about the people in Ukraine, but do we want this to become World War III? The president's gotten some criticism. I know you two will, will probably disagree on that. How do you feel how he's handled it so far? I think he's handled it superbly. Um, I think he, he was, first of all, the U.S. intelligence, the sort of unique um, releasing everything the Russians were, were going to do before they did it as a way to unify world opinion. You have to remember, he had to bring NATO along, too. He had to bring European countries who, who, who have different relationships with Russia. He's, he's mustered the, the best coalition since... Uh, George H.W. Bush put, put together the coalition um, that, that kicked the Iraqis out of uh, Kuwait. Um, and he, I think he struck the right balance between um, getting Ukraine not all the arms it needs, but most of the arms it needs, but, but not um, doing things that are risky um, in terms of a direct confrontation with the Russians. Yeah, I think that the president hasn't done an exceptional job. You know, I think that this was a crisis that everybody could foresee that this was a great possibility that was happening. Um, I don't think that the Russians anticipated the Ukrainian resolve. I mean, their president really has come forward and, and shown true leadership. I think that the no-fly zone, we should not get involved in that, but I agree that we should give the Ukrainian people the tools that they need to fight against the Russians. And if you believe 
believe the estimates, tens of thousands or t more than 10,000 Russian soldiers, and you got parents at home who don't even know, and they weren't even told why their why their children went. Don, you got about a minute left. Yeah, no, I I, I actually think the president has done a fine job uh, in handling this situation. What actually is more concerning to me is that I do actually believe that if Trump had won the presidency, I don't. I don't think Russia does this. I think the relationship that Trump has with Putin would have led to a, a different outcome in this particular situation. But uh, to what you were saying earlier in terms of avoiding World War III, there may have been nothing anyone could have done to avoid what we're seeing now. But we can't discount the fact that Trump had a very good relationship with Putin, and I do think this would have been avoided. But I don't think Biden has done anything wrong uh, in the current situation. Yeah, because Trump gave... Quickly. Trump gave Putin everything he wanted and was and was undermining NATO. I, I don't know what, what Putin would have done. I don't think it has to do with either Trump or Biden. I, I would say there was no way Trump could have mustered the NATO right. alliance. I, I don't think he Which undermined way? NATO. I think he told NATO, the NATO nations, get your act together and start contributing. We're not going to pay for you anymore. All right, folks, thank you so much. Wish we had more time. Rob and Sue and Don, thank you so much for coming and folks thank you for joining us every week come back here next week as a lively experiment continues have a great week experiment is generously underwritten by hi I'm John Hazen White jr. for over 30 years a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS